Luke chapter 2, beginning in, in verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth goodwill towards men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorified and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. You look at... American history. And you see that in American history, there was those early colonists who lived within those, those 13 colonies. They sent, they sent Benjamin Franklin to meet with the British Parliament to make a plea that, that taxation without representation was illegal. The Americans then boycotted the British tax on tea, which led to the Boston Tea Party on December 16th of 1773, 240 years ago. This, this is moments in history that we're aware of. Revolutionary War began on April 19th of 1775 with the battles of Lexington and Concord, and, and it was there, there was that, that shot that was... That shot that was the first shot of the Revolutionary War, and it's known as the shot that was heard around the world. The Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4th of 1776. And then there was just, there was many battles that took place for the next several years. Battle after battle. Total American casualties. If, if you take those that were killed in battle as well as those that were, that that died during, during the war from, from disease. It was estimated that it was, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 people that had died during those, during those years. The British, the British lost 1,240 in, in battle, but over 18,500 died from disease during that time. And... And the war was going in a way where nobody could have been certain in which direction it was going. The, the British had resources that the Americans didn't have. Um, 
Americans had other advantages that the British didn't have as far as as soon as the British got inland, it was far more difficult for them. But in October of 1781, a significant battle took place. George Washington led nearly 19,000 American and French troops in. They, they were thought to possibly be going to New York, but instead they, they went to Yorktown to fight Cornwallis and all of his British troops there. I, I listened to a study from Tim Keller who, who talked about a sermon that he had heard years ago by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones that showed the differences between good advice and, and the gospel or good news. And, and he uses it in a way of, of thinking of of those that are in battle. And so I want to integrate that into our study this morning. Reference to the Battle of Yorktown. George Washington's there and he's leading the troops to fight the British. And as he's there, if, if Cornwallis was winning, if, if the Americans were being taken out left and right and, and the French as well, and, and it, it looked as if Washington was going to lose that battle... He definitely would have sent military advisors to the neighboring cities. He would have sent people ahead. It doesn't look good. We're losing. We're being defeated. He would have called upon cities like Williamsburg and, 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 and others and, and, and called upon their troops and their citizens to, to just fight for their lives. He would tell them how many British troops the, that there are. He would, he would tell them, go, go tell them that this is how you could possibly defeat them. But news, the, the, what would take place is there would be advisors that would go down and say, this is what needs to happen. We're being defeated. So these advisors would go down and say, this is what's taking place. We're losing the war. However, that, that, that's not what happened. George Washington was not sending advisors to local cities and villages and outposts calling them up people to, to fight for their lives. Rather, Washington had 19,000 troops. And on October 17th, the British were surrounded and Cornwallis and his troops were facing possible annihilation. Cornwallis is looking at it and he realizes that the French had, had, had taken out Chesapeake Bay. He couldn't escape and go that direction. He's looking at 19,000 troops that are surrounding him, and he's seen possible annihilation as a result of this battle. And so he sends one drummer boy and one officer waving a white flag with a message asking for the battle to cease and with terms of surrender. This was the last significant battle in the Revolutionary War. The message that came from George Washington was, was, was a message of good news to the cities below, to the surrounding villages. A message of good news that the battle had been won, that the enemy was defeated, that surrender had occurred. I looked at, at pictures of old, of old newspapers of the, the next day, the news that came out throughout the colonies. And what the, the newspaper said, that they all had, had this, this big heading on the front page. And what it said was in, 
in large letters, be it remembered, exclamation mark, be it remembered. That on the 17th day of October, 1781, Lieutenant General Charles Earl Cornwallis, with above 5,000 troops, surrendered themselves prisoners of war to His Excellency General George Washington, Commander-in-Chief of the Allied Forces of France and America. And then, in gigantic letters, underneath that, it said, Laos Deo, which means praise be to God, exclamation mark. Laos Deo, praise be to God. We've won the battle. The British have surrendered. Incredible news to cover the land. He doesn't, he doesn't send messages saying, fight for your lives. He sends a message, there is good news, we won. I respond with joy. We won, we won the battle. It's much different than good advice telling us how we should take arms or how we should fight for our lives. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that every other religion offers advice for achieving salvation. Every other religion that exists offers advice. Do this. Here's, here's advice. This is how you can fight. Fight for your lives. Do these rites. Do these rituals. Do, obey these laws. Do these regulations. Here's all the things that you need to do. Do all of these things. Fight for your lives. Here's the good advice. Here's the advice for you. Do these things. And that is not Christianity at all. There is a radical difference from good advice that goes, advice that comes and says, this is how you can fight for your lives versus good news that says the battle has been won. When we think of Christianity, what we find over and over again is that the God of the Bible, the sovereign God of this universe, does not offer good advice, just simply advice. He, he did not send angels to the shepherds to offer advice. He doesn't send his disciples to the church today to proclaim good advice for how we should fight for our lives. We find over and over again in the pages of Scripture the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're offered good news, which is supposed to cause our hearts to rejoice and to not be afraid, but to cause us to see what has already been accomplished. News is what has already taken place. We, we see heralds of good news. The battle's been won. And on this Christmas Sunday, we're to respond to these good tidings and to respond with, with great joy. I think of those angels that are there, and, and they come to these shepherds. They come to these shepherds, and, and you would look at this and just think, okay, it, it seems like the angels should go to Caesar Augustus or Maybe the angels should, should appear to the Sanhedrin or, or maybe to the Pharisees. Come to the movers and shakers. Come to the people that, that are able to just cause radical change. But the angel doesn't. The, the, the angel goes to those that were the, the lowest of, of all of the people. Shepherds who, who couldn't even go to, to, to worship at the temple because they were there tending for the sheep seven days out of the week. 
These shepherds who, a lot of times, they were young boys that were there. And he comes to them, and the glory of the Lord shining around them, and tells us that they were that they were greatly afraid. But then the angel says to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You could picture the advisors in a battle that would come down and be, be afraid. We're losing. It's not going the way that we wanted it to go. Take up your arms. Fight for your lives. This is what's going to take place. Be afraid. This is what's going to have to happen. We've we got to fight for our lives. And that's, that's not what the angel says at all. The angel's first words are, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. I am bringing you the good news. Don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news. I'm bringing you good news that is, it's, it's going to make your hearts so full of joy. In the battle there at Yorktown, there was the American and the French soldiers that lined up, and the line would have been over a mile. And the British troops walked through, walked through the two lines of the soldiers. And history tells us that these guys were not happy at all. I mean, some of them were taking their, their, their arms at, as they got to the end, and they would just throw them down into a heap. A pile that was there of all the arms. Cornwallis was so upset that he said that he was too sick to go for this particular surrender and sent one of his commanders instead, one of his generals instead. They're, they're, they're going and, and they're laying down their weapons and surely the soldiers that were around, surely those that were hearing from the cities below and throughout the colonies, were re- rejoicing at this defeat that took place. Then he comes to the gospel. Picture this angel. He's saying, don't, don't be afraid. I, I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. I'm bringing you the best news that you could ever possibly hear. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you the news that on this day there is born to you a Savior. And it's Christ the Lord. You, you can picture this angel just speaking these words and, and saying to these shepherds, you don't have to be afraid because the battle has been won. You don't need to be afraid because what is taking place is something that is just glorious. God has sent us his son. The fulfillment of everything that had been pointing towards this. You look in in scripture and and you see from the very beginning with with Adam and Eve that, that from the seed of the woman there would come one that would crush the serpent's head. Looking forward to this son that would come, this offspring that would come from, from Eve. So excited that, that her first child was born and that he was the one that was going to crush the serpent's head, that they named him Cain, meaning here he is. He's here. 
but clearly Cain was not the one. All of the promises that were given, the promises to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob, that he'd come from the lineage of David, the prophecies that were given, like that he'd be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2, that he'd be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14, that kings would bring gifts, Psalm 72, that he would be deity, Isaiah 9.6, that John the Baptist would prepare the way for him, Isaiah 40, verse 3. That he'd make deaf people hear and blind see, Isaiah 42, 6. That the rulers of the earth would come against him, Psalm 2. That he'd speak in parables, Psalm 78. That he would come into Jerusalem on a king, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, Zechariah 9, 9. That he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11. That he'd be accused by false witnesses, Psalm 27. On and on, that he'd open not his mouth, Isaiah 53, that he'd be struck on his head with a rod, Micah 5.1, that he'd be numbered with transgressors, Isaiah 53, that he'd hang on a tree as a curse for us, Deuteronomy 21. And it goes on and on and on of just, this is what is going to happen. All of this is pointing to Christ who is to come. There's good news that is coming. There is a Savior that is coming. And you see the, the angel there and just... I'm bringing you the best news ever on this day. There was born to you this day in the city of David, in Bethlehem, just as it had been told in Micah 5.2, there is coming to you this day a Savior, and it is Christ the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who spoke things into existence, and we rejoiced when we saw it and sang, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one that we see, and he just is brilliant in his glory. It's Christ, it's Christ the Lord. And then you, you hear this, this, this heavenly host saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. Just, just all of these angelic beings singing, glory to God in the highest. There is born on this day a Savior, and it's Christ the Lord. And you look, and you see something that is just incredible news, good news that's being brought forth from this angel. Something that you find in Scripture over and over again as far as this idea of good news. In 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 23, I'll just read it to you. It says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. Sing to Him, everybody that's here on earth. Proclaim the good news of salvation from day to day. There's good news. It's not advice. It's good news that's going forward. So we find good news. All the way through Scripture, what you see is good news. This is what has happened. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Good news. Headline, news. He gave his son. Good news, that God became flesh. He who was from everlasting to everlasting was born of a virgin, and he humbled himself and became a man. 
This, this isn't something where it's, okay, so what do we do with this? How do we fight for our lives? It's just God so loved the world that he gave his son. His son came into the world, and on this day he was born, and it is Christ the Lord. He's taken flesh upon himself to where he is fully man. He was born of a virgin, just as the prophecies had told beforehand. He humbled himself and became a man. The good news is that God himself became subject to the law, fulfilling all of the law, thus fulfilling all righteousness. The good news is that he did it. He obeyed all of the law in his perfection. He came to do the will of the Father. He always loved the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. He always loved his neighbor as himself. He fulfilled the entirety of the law while he was on earth. That's the good news. It's not good advice for us. It's good news. He did it. The good news is that Christ, who made himself tempted in all things, was yet without sin. The good news is that that baby who was born and wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying there in a manger, who is our Savior, Christ the Lord, was tempted in all ways and yet lived a perfectly righteous life. The good news is that Christ was, who he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice. The good news is that he became our substitutionary atonement. He, he paid the penalty for our sin. So you look at, and you hear, okay, here's the battle. This is what has taken place. And as a result, proclaim the good news. Proclaim the gospel. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Romans 6.10, he died for sin once for all. He died for our sin once for all. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. It's good news. He gave himself as a ransom for us all. It's good news. The good news is that Christ fulfilled all of the demands of God's justice. He satisfied them all. The good news is that Christ took the wrath of God, the wrath that we deserved upon himself. The good news is that when he died on the cross, John 19.30 says that he said, it is finished. It's finished. I look and I, I think of the resurrection. When there's this great earthquake and the angel of the Lord descends from heaven and comes and he rolls back the stone. He sits on it and his countenance is like lightning and his clothing is as white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and they became like dead men. And the angel says to the women, once again, don't be afraid. Don't, you don't have to be afraid. Okay. Let's think of what it'd be like if, if, if some wicked army was fighting against our country, I'm not saying that about the British, there's a lot of theology that goes into the Revolutionary Wars, whether it should happen. That's not the point. It's just an illustration right now. But th- think of think of what's taking place here. Like you, you have some some army that's just wicked, and, and they've just destroyed our troops. And now it's they're coming for us. Fight for your lives. They're coming, and there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them, and they're they're coming. Take up your arms, fight for your lives. And 
there would just be incredible fear for us. And yet what you find here is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. The angel says, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Behold, I've told you. I've, I've told you. I, he rose again just like he said. It's the same thing that you find again. There is good news. This, this, is, this is just incredible news. They're there and they've all departed and they, they don't know what to do. The disciples are in a place of just incredible sorrow. The angel comes. There's this incredible earthquake and it's don't be afraid. I'm bringing you the best news you could ever hear. He has risen just as he said. He, he conquered sin and death. Go, you're going to see him when you go to Galilee. Behold, I've told you. And, and it tells us that they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to bring his disciples' word. Without a doubt, that little drummer boy there in Yorktown, that officer coming to give the letter from Cornwallis of surrender, somebody there heard it, George Washington read it, and news got sent down to others where it just spread like wildfire throughout all the colonies. Likewise for us, you hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there comes within our heart this just incredible passion to run and, and make known this thing that has taken place. Good news of the gospel. You see, you see in Scripture that as a result of, of Christ's death and his resurrection, as a result of it, he's become our Savior. Christ the Lord, our Savior, unto you a Savior. Come, it's Christ the Lord. The good news is that he justifies us. Galatians 2.16, man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. It's good news. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that he might be justified, even we have believed in Christ, in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. The good news is that you're not saved by the law. You're not saved by fight for your lives. You're saved by the work of Christ upon the cross and faith in him. Titus 3, 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And having been justified by his grace, we 
should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is good news. This is what has happened. This is what he has done. The good news is that he gave us his Holy Spirit. It's good news. It's not, okay, try to figure out a way to find him. Fight for your lives. It's just, and I gave you the Holy Spirit. The good news is that, that it was God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, to shine in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to us. It's, it's good news. This is what God has done. And you, you, you picture the, that moment upon your salvation, the moment when you were saved and what it is that took place. And God just says, I, I commanded light to shine out of darkness, to shine in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to you. I've made the blind able to see. I've made the dead rise. I've taken hearts of stone and I've turned them into hearts of flesh. This is the good news. This is what I've done. It's good news. He gave us his Holy Spirit. The good news is that God imputes righteousness onto our account. He declares us to be righteous. I think on these things, it, it makes my heart so glad I, to, to think, I don't, I don't have to earn my righteousness. You, you, you picture just coming before his throne and, and you die, you're, you're being brought into the presence of God as your judge and, and you, you come before his throne and I'm I'm so thankful. It's not based on whether I I did enough. I'm so thankful. It's not based on whether I fulfilled all righteousness. I'm, I'm thankful. It's not based on whether I took up arms and fought for my life. But to be able to to come before Him and and to be there and be clothed with robes of righteousness that are not my own, but a righteousness that has been imputed onto my account, that I've been declared righteous because Christ fulfilled all righteousness and he died on the cross and through faith in him, my sins are removed and his righteousness is placed upon my account. I look at that and that has nothing to do with good advice. It has everything to do with good news. This is what he has done for us. The good news is that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. The good news is that he adopts us into his family. The good news is that the sting of death has been removed. The the, the good news is that as a result of the resurrection of Christ from the dead, you have an inheritance that's incorruptible and it's undefiled and it doesn't fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you and it's kept by the power of God. That, that's good news. Peter goes from there and says, in this you greatly rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice because you have an inheritance that's incorruptible and it's undefiled and it doesn't fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you and it's kept by the power of God. What that does for you and what it does for me is it, it, we, we hear a verse like that and we just say, okay, so there is something that's in heaven 
and it's, it's this inheritance, and it's, it's incorruptible, and it's undefiled, and it doesn't fade away. And I can't lose it because it's kept by the power of Almighty God. It's reserved there for me. And it'll be ready to be revealed at the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. It's good news. Though you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full and full of glory. I remember a Christmas for me when I was a little guy where prior to that Christmas I had um, this bike that was given to, to, to me by my cousins and all of my cousins were girls and so it was a girl bike and it was blue which made it more manly but it still was a girl bike with a big banana seat and it's just, it's just not cool. Like it wasn't, there was nothing cool about my bike. Um, and I remember this, this one Christmas in which my parents, God forgive them, they, <laughs> they gave us a couple of just kind of little tiny gifts and then like, hey, that's it. And I remember just like, <laughs> serious? <laughs> Spoil of a rat? I, like, I, I, that's it? Okay. <laughs> We're thankful. You know, and, and we kind of like wrapped up everything, and, and then my dad says like, okay, wait, 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 there's, there's one more gift for you guys. It's, it's in the garage. And, and so we, we went out there to see what it was, and there, and there was like two, two like brand new killer bikes that were right there in there, and, and we, were, we were so happy, I mean, just so happy to see these new bikes. Remember, Jeff? We were so happy. The joy that was there to be able to see the, the gift. In the same sermon that I was listening to by Tim Keller, he talked about how if, if someone was meeting you at your house and and the person shows up to your house and, and you're not there and you, you arrive a little bit later and, and they say, hey, you know, someone came by with a bill for you, but I paid it. Um, you would think, oh, thanks. And he says, you know, like it, it, it could be that it, you, you just paid the postage for, for something that arrived in the mail and you'd be thankful it's postage. Thanks. He says, but it also could be that you had this big tax debt of like hundreds of thousands of dollars that was over your head and you didn't know if they were ever going to send it. It could have been that they, they sent that to you and he paid a couple hundred thousand dollars for you. And he said, I, I wouldn't know whether to say like, oh, thanks, that's nice, or to fall down and <laughs> kiss his feet and say, thank you for doing this. And he said, it, it depends on what, what was the debt that they paid? How big was the debt? And so you go through Scripture, and, and you look at Scripture, and, 
And God tells us the debt that has been paid. So it's like there's, there's, there's this movement of like the self-esteem Christianity that makes it so everybody wants everybody to think like, you're not that bad. Don't talk about sin. Don't, don't talk about hell. People don't want to hear about that. Don't talk about how bad they are. Don't talk about these things. And I'll tell you, that it, it, it does incredible disservice to the gospel. When you look and you see there's none righteous, no, not one, there's none who does good. When you go and look through scripture and you look and God says, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. You are children of wrath just as the others. When you go through and you look in scripture and, and, and it tells you about hell and it, that it's a place of un, unquenchable fire, blackest darkness, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you go through and, and, and God says the inclination of their heart is only evil continually. You go through and you look at scripture, you look at the, the weight of the debt in which we have accrued. And then you see that he says, I paid the debt. We don't respond with, well, thanks. We respond with, I will bow down and I will worship you and I will give my life to you. You you have all of me from this day forward. I will praise you forevermore. You have done it all. You deserve all of my affections, all of my allegiance, all that I am, you deserve. And forever and ever, I will praise you because you have paid a debt that I never could have paid. And you begin to look at it, and it is the glorious gospel. You have a gift that has been given to you that makes the bikes in the garage seemed like nothing. You have a debt that has been paid for you that makes it so that you have an inheritance that's incorruptible and it's undefiled and it doesn't fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you and you have clothed, you've been clothed with, with robes of righteousness and you get to enter into the joy of the Lord and you get to enter into the joy of the Lord as adopted sons and daughters, as the bride of Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You get to be with him and he is your God and you are his people and you get to dwell with him as we looked at just last week on Wednesday night, you get to tabernacle with him. You get to be with him and live with him and have fellowship with him and enter into the joy of the Lord and experience that both for all eternity with him. And there's no way that you could ever be removed because you're not there based upon you fought with all of your might to live, but you're there because of the good news of the gospel that he has done it for you. And we look at this and it just causes us to to be like those shepherds and listening, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the nations, to all the people. For unto you this day there is a Savior who was born, and it is Christ the Lord. It's just radical when you consider the gift. It is radical when you consider the gospel, the news that has been brought to us, We are free. We are free to be with him for all eternity because of the gospel, the good news. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul says, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And so, when good advice comes down that mountain and it comes to us, the response is fight for your lives. When good news comes and says, battle's been won, it's been finished. Unto you this day, a Savior has been born, and it is Christ the Lord. And he took all of the wrath that you deserved upon himself, and he fulfilled all righteousness. He has paid it all. The response to hearing good news is to believe. To believe the news that we have heard and to respond with great joy. To be able to look and say, okay, it is by faith alone that we're saved. And then, by God's grace, just knowing it is the Holy Spirit who, when you're there and you hear the gospel, who is there to work in our hearts and to change us and take hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh and to open our eyes to where even in that we just praise him for our salvation, for every part of our salvation, that he is the author and the finisher of it. He began the good work in us and he'll be faithful to complete it, that he is the one in whom has saved us from beginning to end, to whom all glory belongs. We hear the good news and respond by God's grace with faith. And we respond with just incredible joy. Just as the disciples, or as the, as the shepherds left there. And we're told that as they, as they walked away, they made widely known the saying which was told them. They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them, the good news. We respond with just incredible joy. Amen. Let's close with prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time here in your word. Lord, I I thank you that over and over and over again in Scripture, you refer to the good news, the gospel, good tidings of great joy. Over and over again in Scripture, you say, this is what I have done. This is what I have done. I have forgiven you. I have saved you. I have drawn you. I have taken hearts of stone and made them hearts of flesh. I've become that substitutionary atonement. I've given you an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and doesn't fade away. I've reserved it for you. I'm the author. I'm the finisher. I'm the one who's worthy to open the scrolls. I'm the one that was slain. I'm the one that came from David. I'm the one that that Abraham looked to and saw my day and was glad. I am the one that was all pointed to when the angels Say, a Savior has been born. It was me that was born. And it's Christ, the Lord, sovereign God of the universe, became man so that we could have salvation. And I paid your debt. And and we, as your people, look upon your word and see the debt in which you have paid. And, oh, God, just help us to see the incredible weight of the debt that we could have never paid ourselves. And that we would fall and worship you, and exalt you, and with all that is within us, that we would praise you both now and forevermore. We love the gospel. Saints here, as we sit here in this church this morning, on this Christmas Sunday, we 
love the gospel. We love you. We love the good news. We love what you have accomplished for us, and we give you all the glory. Now, Lord, we pray that you'd be exalted through the praises of your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.